0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning, church. My name's Landon. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited that you joined us on this holiday weekend. It's going to be a great morning. And so, uh, like I said, my name's Landon. I'm uh, our next-gen pastor here, which means I oversee our kids' ministry, our student ministry, and our young adult ministry, and all the teams That run that. And so I'm definitely excited to preach this message today. I know we've been walking walking through this message series. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share in in, in this in this series and thankful for for Pastor Trent and all he's been doing in this series. I know it's already been an amazing series, but as the next gen pastor today, I kinda wanna share kind of things through just a little bit of a different lens today. And I know we kind of have some similar applications for for all of our messages today, but I really, as we walk through today's message, I really want us to look at how this, and when we do this together, what what it's going to do for the next generation, and uh, just kind of change it up for a little little bit this morning. And uh, so I'm definitely excited to jump in. And so in this series, we've been looking at the greatest sermon of all time. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so Jesus is teaching some of his most foundational messages to what it means to be a Christian. To what it means to live life the way it was meant to be. To live life the way Jesus designed it. And what we're saying, to live life on the mountain. And so what we've said in this series is we've said that, that life on the mountain is focused on we. While life in the valley is focused on Me And so that's really kind of the lens that we've been viewing this entire series is there's a life on the mountain and it's all about we but the life in the valley when we walk through the valleys of life we become very internalizing that we focus on ourselves and so we're going to kind of view everything that we teach today through that lens right there that life on the mountain is focused on we while life in the valley is focused on me now. Some of this, this is, you know, this is really connecting with some of you all, because some of you all love to hike. Who loves to hike in the room, okay? You know, a lot of people, they move to East Tennessee because you all love the mountains, and, and I do too, so... So one night, uh, we we were going to go hike, and we were going up to Gregory's Bald. And so Gregory's Bald is a beautiful place. It's above Cades Cove. It's about a a six-and-a-half-mile hike up. So at at this time, I'm about 16 years old, and I love to hike. I love to backpack. My wife and I, we we love to, to go to different national parks and check it out. It's one of our favorite things to do. So I'm 16 years old. We're going up to hike Gregory's Bald, and we're going to backpack. And so, essentially, we're going to go camping, we throw it all on our back, and we hike up six and a half miles up. And so, it's me, and it's my friend Stooks, and another guy named Brian, a guy named Chris. And and, and Stooks and I, we're we're smaller guys, like we get up the mountain pretty quick. And uh, the other two guys, they're they're a little heavier set, they're they're bigger, they take it, uh, their hike's just a little bit slower getting up. And so, we decided we were going to just kind of break up, and whoever gets up to the top first can set up camp for the night, and and we'll just kind of make our way. And so... Stooks and I, we get up to the top, and, and so our friend Brian, you know, we've waited for an hour, and so Brian comes up. Okay, all right, that's cool. Uh, where's Chris at? Uh, and and so, so we're waiting, and it's, it's about 7.30, 8 o'clock gets there, and we're like, okay, Chris still hasn't made it up the mountain. So that's fine. He, he was con- going to be the slowest hiker out of all of us, and uh, so he's probably just taking his time. That's cool. So it's about 9 o'clock. Chris is still nowhere to be found, Okay. Six and a half miles, and we're like, oh, my goodness, okay? 10 o'clock, still nothing. It's dark, okay? And so we're like, all right, we're going to wait till 11 o'clock. If Chris, you don't want to be my friend on a hike. You're like, you waited that long? Uh, And you're like, oh, my goodness. Uh, And so I'm like, I'm trying to camp tonight. I don't want to have to hike back. And uh, so it's 11 o'clock, and we're like, okay, Chris is dead. And so let's go to sleep. No, I'm just joking. Uh, and, And so we turn around. And, uh, and we're like, okay. And so we're not prepared to, to night hike. I'm, I'm 16 years old. I don't have a ton of gear yet. And so we have a couple minimal flashlights, just enough to kind of make it around camp at night. And so we're like, here we go. All right. We've hiked six and a half. It's 11 o'clock. We got to go find Chris. And so we eventually find Chris He's passed out on the trail Okay, Just covered himself in his hammock And was like, alright, they'll find me in the morning Okay, uh, so He passed out But as we're hiking back It is complete darkness And like I said, we don't have good gear So we really can't see much And so we're hiking back at night And, and I'll be honest we're, we're a little spooked at this point Because on the way up we saw a bear And so we're like, okay So we're walking down, and we can't see anything but what's around us. We're so far away from any of the city lights, and all of a sudden, we hear a growl, a really big growl. And we hear it rustling through the woods, and so we're all making noise as much as we can, trying to, you know, I got like my pocket knife out, like I'm going to kill the bear. I'm going David and Goliath on this, okay? You know, we're scared to death. We're just like, we got to get down the trail. Well, we do, and we find Chris, and we get him hydrated, and we get back. But, you know, I'm telling this story, and it was such a great story to tell, and, I, and, and all in my mind, about the whole time I, I am telling about this huge bear that we saw on the trail, knowing That it probably wasn't that big of a roar (laughs) We were probably just really scared And and in fact, you know, that's what we call a fish story You know, like, like when you, in hindsight, it's like, yeah In fact, we actually, we were hiking back and it was a grizzly bear No, 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 I'm sorry, it was a polar bear There was a polar bear in the Great Smoky Mountains It walked up to us, offered us porridge And, and like, we, we were just, we were just so afraid Okay, that's what we call a fish story, right? That, that the, the story kind of exaggerates when really probably in hindsight, it was probably just a large rabid raccoon, okay? It was probably like Guardians of the Galaxy guy just like coming out, okay? And so that's what we call a fish story. Now, as kids, lying was black or white. You either told a truth or you told a lie. You know that. You were taught that. And so lying was very black and white, but as you become a, adults, you learn that maybe there's a different shade of truth. And it's what we call a little white lie, where it's kind of a lie, and in our minds it's kind of not. And, and, and the way we kind of make this work in our minds as Christians is this word here. It's called we, we rationalize. We rationalize, and, and, and rational, to rationalize means to, to attempt to explain the reason behind the thing that we did was wrong. And we're trying to explain how it was right. So maybe we commit to do something and then circumstances change. Or, or, or someone asks us at work, your boss asks you, hey, is the project finished? And you're like, yeah, it's finished, knowing that it's, it's not done yet. Or, or, or maybe you get $5 back at the register when you know that you were only supposed to get $3 back. And so what do we do? we 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 rationalize so so we may when when plans change we say well you know i need this time for my family so i'm just going to back out or or we rationalize say well you know i know i'm not really done with the project but i'm essentially done with the project i mean it's pretty much done so yeah that wasn't a lie that was just i'm just rationalizing here. Or, 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 well, you know, I actually lost a couple dollars a couple weeks ago, and so really this is just God's way of blessing me. And uh, I'm a blessed and highly favored man, so they gave me two extra dollars. Praise God. Uh, and, and we're just kind of rationalizing things. And so as adults, if we're honest, our moments of rationalization change pretty quickly into plain and simple rational lies, if we're being real. That we can ration, and I'm the king at this, that I can rationalize things all day long. I can make myself think that it's right. I don't feel guilty about it. And I just and, and the Holy Spirit's just like, you really don't need to do that. But I'm just keep rationalizing. And really our rationalization just become rational lies in our head. And, and so we so often will rationalize things. We'll tell rational lies to get our way out of things. Why do we do this? Well... Here's why I think we do this. Because it's something that we all do. Ultimately, we are easily focused on the preferences of me, aren't we? Just something, you don't even have to be a Christian to know this is true. Ever, I mean, raise a toddler. You know who they're focused on. Me. What, what they want. They hit somebody when something's taken out of their hands. We, as humans, are so easily focused on me But we isn't just us in the room, and we isn't just us as Christians. We have been focused on me for all of history. In fact, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is addressing just that. And so, again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, and we're going to be looking at Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he addressed he, remember, Pastor Trent, if you, if you missed last week, make sure you go and watch it online. Pastor Trent preached a uh, very powerful and convicting message last week. And so, we we'll to give you a moment to, to grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to start today in verse 33. So, Jesus has just addressed his audience on adultery and anger. And he goes and he says this in verse thirty. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So let's start there for, uh, let's stop there for a moment. And so let's, let's break down the first part of this verse here. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And so what is he talking about here when he says, what you've heard it said to those of old, let's, let's figure out what he's saying there. So when he refers to that, first he is using a, a reference And he's referencing what is called the Mosaic Law. So this was the ancient law of the people of Israel. You may know it as the law in the prophets, the law of Moses. And every Jew obeyed and knew this law. So when he said, you have heard it said to those of old, every person in his first century Jewish audience was was recalling what they knew as Children and, and he was probably also referring to what's called the teaching of the elders or the Mishnah. And so they essentially had uh, they had the law that was from God, and then the elders of the community had had written all of these secondary laws, which was called the Mishnah. And it had all these kind of clarifications and loopholes about the laws. And and so when he is saying this, all the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. And so he says, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, this is a cross-reference from the book of Numbers. And it's a law where it essentially says that you should not make a promise and swear on the name of The Lord. In fact, if you swore on the name of the Lord in Jewish law and broke that promise, it was a capital crime. You would be put to death because it was blasphemy. In fact, when you stand up in a courtroom and testify and you put your hand on the Bible and and the judge will say, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. The reason you say that is because of Numbers. Is because there was this standard that if you swore to God, that even the most hardened criminal would not break that law that even the most hardened criminal would not swear to the Lord and break his promise because they knew lightning would probably strike them they would be dead and and so they shouldn't just do that and I'd like to think that that's still a standard of truth that we hold in America but I know that it is not for many people but that is why we swear on the Bible it's actually a reference to the Mosaic law in Numbers and so he says this you shall not swear to the Lord and so now If this is a rule for your teenager, how many of you all have teenagers? Okay, in the room? Okay, awesome. And so if if this is the law for your teenagers, okay, I promise they already see the loophole here, okay? And 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 because Israel saw it as well. Here's what it was it's like swearing on God was wrong. But swearing on God was wrong, but swearing on anything else was okay. And so what was happening amongst God's people is that they essentially were known as an untrustworthy people. So they would never swear on God, but they would swear on all kinds of different things. They would say, well, I, I swear by heaven, or I swear by earth that I did this, or I swear by the hairs on my head that I did this. And so that when it came time for them to be judged, for them breaking their promise, they didn't swear on God, they swore on something else. And so... He, he talks about this in, in verse 34. He says that, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And I do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Now, when you read that there, that may seem pretty antiquated for us. Like what does it mean to swear by? Like we don't swear by heaven, we don't swear by earth, we don't swear by Jerusalem or the hairs of our heads. And I want you to think, think again. Teenage kind of manipulation here. All right, they're finding the loopholes in the law. I mean, you've heard it, mom. I I swear by heaven, I didn't do it. Or I swear by all of earth that this did not happen. And if you've had children, you've heard something like this. Like I swear my life. That I didn't do this. you like, you know that they're lying. Or like, I, I swear on my mother's grave. Happy Mother's Day for those. You know, like, you know, I swear on my whatever, fill in the blank, that I did not do it. And Jesus sees through the loopholes in the Jews, just like a parent sees through some teenage manipulation. And he, he simplifies it all down. He says this, he says, Let what you say simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil Now I love how other translations say this They say that let simply your yes be yes And your no be no Or in other words Jesus says there's no more loopholes There's no more caveats to the law No system to work, no God to manipulate And no Mishnah to be followed Instead let your yes be yes and your no be no Pretty simple Because you are God's people. And you, as God's people, who do you reflect? God himself. So here's my bottom line for this morning. This is my main point. My bottom line is this, is that God's people model God's promises. So as the church, we are God's people. Which means in every area of our lives, we are to model who God is and the promises that he has made to us. He's made many promises to us. That he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. That once we're saved, he's never going to to take his love. That he's always going to love us. He's made these promises. He's covenanted with us. He's made a promise to you. He's made a promise to the world. And he never breaks his promises. And so we are God's people who reflect God himself. So God's people model God's promises. And so what Israel had done is they had forgotten that they were the people of God. They were supposed to embody the presence of God wherever they went. And when they would lie, they would break an oath. And when they wouldn't follow through on their commitments, and when they couldn't be trusted, they modeled to the world and to the next generation that God's promises can't be trusted too. Because for God's people, there was no need to put your hand on a Bible to make a promise. There's no need for a standard of truth to verify your commitment, church, because you are God's people. And you reflect God's promises. See, the people of God model God's promises, and the promises are to his people, are st- the promises that God makes to his people are a steadfast, trustworthy love that will endure. Forever, for example, have you ever heard the story of Ho- or of Hosea and Gomer? I almost said Homer. Okay, some of y'all have heard that story. Okay, <laughs> have you ever heard the story of Hosea and Gomer? And let me let me read it to you. And uh, some of your kids might ask what this word means, and 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 that's why you th- they should be in kids ministry this morning. <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, this. It says this in Hosea chapter one. It says. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, so God's speaking to a man, a prophet Hosea, he says, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So we went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Bet you didn't expect to hear that word in church this morning. (laughs) So God is commanding Hosea. God says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. And I want you to have children with this prostitute. And he puts in Hosea's heart a deep love for Gomer. And now this isn't just like some Dan and Roseanne type love. It's like, yeah, I hate this woman, but I got to love her. Okay? Uh, It's like, no, no, no. God put it in Hosea's heart to Genuinely, deeply love this woman with all that he has. And so the story goes that despite his love for this woman and despite his romance for this woman, despite his attempts to woo her, Gomer repeatedly cheats on him. And hooks up and has sex with multiple other men and abandons Hosea for her own whoredom, as the text says. In fact, at one point, the cheating and the affairs become so bad that Gomer becomes property in that time of another man. And Hosea has to sell his possessions just to buy her back. And you're like, I've never read that part of the Bible. That sounds interesting. I probably need to read it. It's an interesting story, but here's what God's doing. God is communicating to his people that this is the type of love that I have for you. That I made an oath. I made a promise. I made a covenant with my people who are mine. That I will never leave them. I will never forsake them. I will never stop loving them. He is saying, I am Hosea and you are my people who are continually sleeping around with someone who's not your first love. And I am not going anywhere. I'll buy you back because you can be faithless and I am God and I will still be faithful because my blood on the cross was an oath And I don't break my promises my yes is always yes, and my no is is always no. So when I say, let me just get us, and let us feel the weight of this this morning. When I say that God's people reflect God's promises, that's the type of love that we are to have. That's the type of devotion. That's the type of covenant love we are to have for our church, for our spouses, and for the next generation, that there is no conditions, I'll still love you, and I'll still fight for you, and I'll buy you back, even when you've been sleeping around. See, that's the the standard. So when I say, let your yes be yes and your no be no, I'm not just breaking some Sunday school lesson out of kids ministry for you all about lying. I am communicating the standard that God has on his people, and that standard is the personification of the gospel itself, because that is who you and I are. You are God's people. You model God's promises to the next generation and to the world. So if God's people reflect God's promises, then my question is, how are you doing with that? Or better yet, do the oaths and the commitments and the promises you make reflect God's covenant love for you? Because as an adult, this whole letting your yes be yes and your no be no is a lot harder than we once thought it to be so. Because you and I often care more about the preferences of self than we do the promises of God. Because we all care so much about me. We all care about what, what we want. And so you and I often care more about the preferences of self than we do modeling the promises of God. But that's not who God called us to be as a people. So let me ask you this question. Are your commitments reflecting the promises of God or the preferences of self? And I want to let that sit there for just a moment. Are your commitments reflecting the promises of God or the preferences of self? So so let's analyze a couple areas that this goes in our life. First, what about your commitment to your friends? Now, you know what I love a good, flaky pastry. Anybody like that? Like, yeah. Okay. I don't enjoy flaky friends. <laughs> okay? People who just flake out on you all the time. They say that they're going to be there, and then, and then they're not. Now, I believe that, that this generation, and I'm not just talking about like kids and students. I'm talking about adults. This generation of adults, including my millennial friends, we, we, have, we struggle with commitments, there's this joke that, that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, but his his second miracle was having 11 close friends in his 30s. Okay? Think about that. Some of you in your 30s, you're like, yeah, I got my wife and my kids and my dog. That's my best friend. Okay, uh, And... and and the reason is, is there's this reality that when you're a kid or you're a student or you're in college, like you have a lot of people around you. So you have a lot of friends at all times. I mean, think back to your college days. You had all these close friends. Think back to high school. You had had your people. Think back to when you were a, a child in elementary school. You had the, the kids that you rode around your, your neighborhood with on your bike. You were just friends. But then as you grow up, we, we somehow lose our way in knowing how to be a good friend. See, we watch the people we call friends stray away from the Lord, and oftentimes we don't say anything to them about it, because we don't want to cause conflict. We tell our friends often that we will do something, and then something better comes along, and, and, and then we rationalize our way to ditch them. Or, or, or we call someone our friends, but we never do the hard work of asking questions, like prying questions and saying like, hey man, how's your soul? How are you doing? I, I, I know you, you look good, and your family looks good, and But but how are you really doing, doing that hard work of what it means to be committed as a friend? And the fact of the matter is, if someone is your close friend and you are a Christian, you've made a commitment to them. You became brothers and sisters with them in Christ. You are committed to see that person flourish in their walk with Christ. Don't be flaky. Let your yes be yes to them and your no be no. And I know we could rationalize it like, I got to rationalize this. I have too much going on. I just can't do that. Or, or their sin is their business, I don't need any part of that. Or, 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 or they don't really even like me that much, so I don't really feel like I, I can be trusted to speak into their, their life. But listen, you are God's people. and You model God's promises. So, so does your commitment to your close friends reflect the promises of God or the preferences of self? The second thing I want to ask is what about your commitment to your church? One of the things I love about Foothills Church is that we don't have members here, we have partners. See, many of us grew up in churches where simply walking an aisle, transferring a letter, signing up to be baptized made you a member of a church. And so it became pretty common practice that churches with a weekly attendance of 500 to 700 people would have 5,000 members on the roll. Many of them have left the church. Many of them quit attending. Many of them were even dead, but they were still members of the church. And, And And that's precisely why we don't have members at our church. We have partners. And so we have partners because we believe the church is a gathering of born-again Christians who are committing their lives to King Jesus and his mission. So at Foothills Church, we currently have 820 FC partners. These are people who have committed to serve, give, and be in a small group. Those are are the commitments along with attending here on a Sunday morning. And so out of that 820 of those, 357 partners are not currently serving. How is your commitment to your church going? See, as a ministry leader who oversees student ministry and kids ministry, let me give you some good news and some bad news about that number right there. The bad news is, that I am daily confronted with the fact that we cannot reach more students and we cannot reach more children without more leaders. We can't send people to Bearden to start a new campus without more leaders here at FC. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. We have 357 believers who are not serving who are ready to go next Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> That's the good news this morning y'all <laughs> Everything we need to reach Maryville high school is in the house right here Everything we need to reach a hurting generation of children from broken homes is in the house right here Everything we need to see a move of god sweep across Bearden and west knoxville is in the house right here But some of us in the house. Let's be honest. We need to get up off the couch And we need to serve, and we need to get involved, and we need to make this place not just a place we attend, but a home that we build together. And so let's get engaged. You've said yes. Now, some of you are like, I'm a first-time guest. What does that mean for me? Listen, I'm not talking to you right now. We'd love for you to jump on the team. We'd love for you to go to base camp. It's starting in June. But, But listen, some of you are partners. You made a covenant before the Lord Jesus Christ to serve. You made a covenant before the Lord Jesus Christ to be in a small group, to build up others around you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, because you as God's people reflect God's promises. And I know we could rationalize it and say, I have kids. I can't serve kids. I'm exhausted. I don't think I can make a difference with students. I'm not cool. My my ministry is my family. I don't need to jump in. This is a season of rest for me. Season of rest for Jesus was when he died. <laughs> We're all in this together for our entire lives. We don't get to rest from making disciples. And so you are God's people and you reflect God's promises. So I just want to ask you, does your commitment to your church reflect the promises of God or the preferences of self? The third thing is this. Is what about your commitment to your marriage? Now, if you're tracking along in scripture and you've been following along in the Sermon on the Mount with us, you know that I skipped a couple of verses. And, and, and that's because, you know, these are, these are some pretty difficult passages to interpret because they're on divorce. And so I want to read this to you. I want to read you, this is directly from the words of Jesus. We're going to let it sit here for just a moment. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I'm going to be honest. This passage is supposed to sting us just a little bit. Because a verse that says, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Taking liter- taken literally can mean a lot of things for a lot of people sitting right here in the room today. And, and you may be asking, well, is that literal? Is that, does that mean that, that my remarriage today means I'm committing adultery? And what do you even know about divorce anyways? Aren't you like 17? Like... Well well let me let me give you a little bit of context here, okay? Personally, my parents divorced when I was in fourth grade. It was not easy for me. It, it wasn't as messy as many children's who walk or many children who walk through divorce are, but it still deeply hurt. Both my parents remarried amazing spouses who were also divorced. My grandparents on both my mom and my dad's side were divorced several times. I work with students and children walking through divorce every single week. I counsel adults struggling with decisions of divorce and people who've had affairs before I was even born. I also survived and made it through the blender that is the blended family. And I deeply love my family I have now from both of my parents' remarriages. I have been only alive for 25 years, but in those 25 years, I've learned a lot about divorce. And, and then that's the first bit of context I want to give you. The second bit of context is tied directly to the text. So Jesus says, it was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So again, what Jesus is referring to here, and this is going to help, help make sense, so everybody lean in with me. What Jesus is referring to here is once again the Mosaic law of his people, Israel. Now, in the Mosaic Law, there was a certificate of divorce that was permitted by Moses. And God never said that this this certificate was good. God never said that you should go and seek this certificate of divorce out. God never condoned it. God never commands it, even in the midst of adultery. Even in the midst of abandonment, God never commands, get a divorce. He permits it, but he does not command it. But Jesus raises the bar. He says in verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, so let me tell you what's happening here. What God's people are doing is that they were abusing the certificate of divorce. They would essentially find all kinds of illegitimate reasons to divorce their wives. Essentially, they would find any type of reason just so they could be free from their wife. For example, things were so bad amongst God's people that men were divorcing their wives for things such as burning their food. Now, if it was a steak, I mean, I guess, I, I no, better not. But they would do it all kinds of these silly, silly dumb, like, like burning their food or embarrassing them in public. And they would go and find a certificate of divorce. And so Jesus is saying, you've gone so far from what was permitted that the only grounds for divorce is sexual immorality. And so the the word sexual immorality in the Greek is a word called porneia. And pornea refers to all kinds of different sexual immoralities. It could be homosexuality. It could be uh, viewing pornography. It could be fornication. It could be bestiality. It could be all these different just perversions of sex. And so he's saying that that essentially anything sexually immoral could be lumped into this. And Jesus is saying that there are permissions for divorce. and, And those permissions are... That sexual immorality, as we see in Matthew 5.31. And then Paul later clarifies and says, if your spouse abandons you, you too have permission for divorce. And he says, anything outside of those two categories are illegitimate divorces. Thus, remarriage is adultery in God's eyes. Because it is an illegitimate divorce. That's why these men who were divorcing their wives for silly reasons were making their ex-wives commit adultery when they remarried. Because you are making her commit adultery because you illegitimately divorced her. So is this saying that if you marry a divorced woman or a divorced man, you are committing adultery? Well, no. He's saying that if you married someone who had a divorce outside of those two reasons, sexual immorality, you are committing adultery. Now let me pause here. Because I know that was a lot. Because in the room this size, there are many remarriages that occurred after a no fault divorce. Or you were the one who had the affair. Or you were the one who abandoned your spouse. And you may ask, now that you're remarried, does that mean, based upon what you just told me, does that mean every time we have sex in our remarriage that I'm committing adultery? And I would say no. Because the illegitimate divorce was a sin. You shouldn't have divorced. You shouldn't have remarried. But that does not mean that if you are remarried today, God cannot make your remarriage holy. You can devote your marriage to the Lord. You can find grace. And you can even find something very beautiful in my family's proof of that. I hope that makes sense. But as you know, it's messy, Right? The divorced people in the room or the people who came from a blended family, you know it's always going to be messy. That's why Jesus offers such a better solution. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let simply what you say, yes be yes and your no be no, because anything else comes from evil. You wonder why, why, why a divorce and remarriage and blended family is so hard. Because it started, it started from a wrong place. That doesn't mean that there's not grace. It doesn't mean that God can't consecrate your marriage and you can't devote your remarriage to the Lord today. But that takes repentance. And that takes a turn back to Him. And I know there's many marriages in the room today that just aren't going well. And there are many marriages in the room today who are trying to recover from an affair. And there are probably people in the room who are separating, who are separated right now and the paperwork for divorce is being written up this week. And there are all kinds of marriages with all kinds of problems. But let me tell you, no matter how unfaithful your spouse may be to your your covenant, no matter how unfaithful your spouse may be to your covenant, we have been exponentially more unfaithful to God in our covenant with Him. And He still loves us. And if you're considering divorce today, please, please, please let me plead with you. You are God's people who are modeling God's promises. Get counseling. Get help. If you're being abused, get out of the house. Get the authorities involved. But whatever situation you are in, please give that relationship to Jesus before you give it to a lawyer. And I know we could rationalize it like we just fell out of love. We fought, so, we fought so long for so hard. We're so far apart. This, this will just be better for the kids. But you are God's people. And you model God's promises. You are Gomer. And Jesus is Hosea. And he will take you back. So does your commitment to your marriage reflect the promises of God? Or the preferences of self? So let me challenge everybody in the room with this today. Commit to love others the way that Christ has loved you. Commit to love others the way Christ has loved you. Christ has loved you. He's been faithful. His love came with no conditions on you. Maybe that means you need to get coffee with a friend and have a hard conversation today. Because you love them far too much. Maybe you need to make a decision today to serve in the church. Maybe you're watching online today and and you need to go to the tab up in the left-hand corner and you need to click the serve button and you need to jump in and serve in the church somewhere. You need to do that right now. Maybe you need to make a decision to take him back or to take her back after the affair. Maybe you throw the divorce papers away when you get home and you commit to counseling. I know a lot of men who will say that they'll take a bullet for their wives, but they won't take themselves to counseling. Do what it takes because we are God's people. We are the ones God chose before the foundations of the earth to show the world who King Jesus is. And hear me, the next generation is watching. The next generation is counting on us to be a people committed to one another. The next generation is counting on us to be a people who are committed to the local church. The next generation is counting on us to be a a, a people who are committed in the midst of affairs and fights and setbacks. Listen, the next generation is watching you, and the next generation is counting on you. You didn't just have to play the the built-in game that came with your BlackBerry. You You got options. Now, as Pastor Trent said this week, you know, when he was a kid, or this past week, when he was a kid, you had to look hard to find pornography kids today have to look hard not or have to try hard not to find pornography now because of this because of the iPhone and i'm not saying the iPhone is bad but i'm just saying telling you what it is the iPhones put pornography in every person's hands who owns a phone And now, because of this, moms and dads, they have access to whatever body they want to look at, at the touch of their fingers. They're rekindling old affairs through Facebook and through social media and through people that they haven't seen in years. And now, the the rise of affairs and the rise of pornography use is rampant. I mean, think of what it's like to live in a kid or a student's shoes in the iPhone era. And think about this. Kids and students have grown up in the no-fault divorce era. So in 2010, it became legal in all 50 states, or all 50 states made it legal by 2010, that there could be a no-fault divorce. And here's what I mean by no-fault divorce. It means that that nobody had to commit adultery, nobody had to steal, nobody didn't have to be abused for somebody to get a divorce. They could just fall in in love, they could fall out of love, sign some papers, and they were divorced. And so Gen Z, which is the students, it's the generation of students and kids that are here right now, they're known as a homeless generation because many of them, far over half, have grown up in a home where mom and dad aren't present. So let me, let me read to you this quote. The trend toward quick and easy divorce and the ever-increasing divorce rate subject more and more children to physically and emotionally absent parents. He goes on. If the trend is not reversed, the quality of family life will continue to deteriorate, producing a society with a higher incidence of mental illness than ever before. Now, this was from Dr. Nicole. He was in the Harvard Medical School. This is a prophetic quote. It was written in 1979. Because in 2014, for the first time in American history, life expectancy has decreased. Outside of world wars, of course. For the first time in American history, with all the modern medicine that we have, life expectancy has decreased. Why? Suicide. The number one leading cause for death of teenagers is suicide. Now, I've walked through with our students, through students of my own who've committed suicide and and, and students who are friends of our students who've committed suicide. Dr. Nicole said that in 1979. And look where we're at today. Why is this true? Why is the next generation's foundation foundation crumbling before our eyes? Here's what I believe. I believe that we as the church haven't been that much different than the world. The divorce rates among Christians are the same as unbelievers. The use of pornography is rampant in the church. Missing sports or missing church for sports Seasons. An all-season-long commitment is the norm now. We are so concerned with what we want, what we need, what we desire, that we've forgotten what Jesus wanted. He did not want to go to the cross. He said, Father, would you take this cup from me? But he did, because he personified life on the mountain. He lived a life on the mountain that was focused on we, that was focused on us. That was focused on our joy Instead of a life in the valley That was focused on his preferences As he was about to go to the cross He cared for the next generation And he put his own skin in the game He knew that we would be unfaithful He knew that we would run far from him He knew that we would be flaky He knew our whoredom But he is the unfailing love of Hosea That would buy us back And he didn't need to put his hand on a Bible To tell you he isn't going anywhere He put his hand on a cross and said, you can drive the nails right here because I love you, no conditions. That is the promise of God for every one of us who are believers today. The question is, will we show that same love for our friends? Because the Bible says this, that there is no greater love than this than one lay down his life for his friends that's what Jesus did for us today so will we show that same love for our friends, will we show that same love for our local church will we show that same love for our spouses and for the next generation because life on the mountain is focused on we. The we over there in kids' ministry. The we here on Wednesday night. The we who are going to Coastal this week. The we who've never walked through the doors. Life on the mountain is focused on we. and Life in the valley is focused on me. Where will you live? Where will you walk? Where will you take your journey? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know in a room like this that as we talk about commitment, specifically divorce, that God, there's a lot of hearts that are soft right now. God, I specifically pray for the marriage that's on the rocks, the marriage that just found out that there was an affair, that the marriage that just found someone watching pornography. God, please, intervene I pray for those who've never yet served, who are partners who've made a commitment, who've covenanted with us I pray that you would go ahead and be just preparing the ministry that they're going to jump into and change the world through and Father I also pray for those who need to be committed to one another Would we have the hard conversations No more rationalization. No more rational lies. Following after you with everything that we have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.